You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. We continue today in the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 30. And before we do that, when we started this series, we told you that there are two unique emphases in the Gospel of Luke when you compare it uh, to the other Gospels. Do any of you remember what those two unique emphases were? Shout it out. Anyone? What? Not Jesus. Come on. Okay, Holy Spirit is one, and the marginalized is two, or the outsiders, or the oppressed, or the people that this world has not been kind to, or this world has rejected, all right? So, so Holy Spirit and the outsider are the two emphasis, emphases that the gospel of Luke has, and today we're going to see both of those play out. Now, real quick, before I uh, start reading here in verse 14, I want to remind you of three key events that have happened so far in the Gospel of Luke. One is Jesus' birth, and it was by who that Jesus was born. Yes, the Virgin Mary, but also the Holy Spirit. That's right. The second event is Jesus' baptism, and who was it that fell on Jesus and filled him during his baptism? Holy Spirit, thank you. The third is Jesus being led into the wilderness where he resisted the temptations of the devil for 40 days with no food. And who was it that led him into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. Today, the story begins again with, you can guess it, the Holy Spirit, and it's the start of Jesus' ministry. So here it is, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. Galilee, Right. This is immediately after leaving the desert, after uh, resisting the temptations of the devil for 40 days. Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We're going to get back to that. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So for the first time in the Gospel of Luke, this is interesting. Jesus isn't just filled with or accompanied by the presence of the Holy Spirit, Luke writes that he is filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And I think there's a difference. See, the beginning of Jesus' ministry is marked by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, even Jesus, and this is really, really important. Okay, It's really important that we understand Jesus was an ordinary human being. 100% human. Yes, he was God, right? But when God took on flesh, he took on all of the natural limitations of an ordinary human being. And so even Jesus needed to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to carry out his ministry, his effective and his miraculous ministry here on earth. Why is this important? Because if Jesus needed the Spirit... How much more do we need the power of the Spirit in our lives? You see, Jesus' life isn't just an anomaly, right? It's not just this thing that happened. His life is a model for the life of the church. It's a model of what God designed humanity to be when they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 14. He says, look, it's it's a good thing that I'm going away. 
because I have to go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. And in you, through you, greater things will be done than even I have done here on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. You hear me? And so Jesus' ministry, the ministry of the ordinary human being, Jesus, is a ministry, is our ministry that's carried out by the church, ordinary human beings, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are few questions more pertinent for a Christian and for our church than, am I filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Again, the power is different than just the presence, all right? Even Jesus, he's filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's not until after fasting for 40 days in the desert and resisting the temptations of the devil that he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's ready, he's prepared for ministry. You see, if, if the Holy Spirit is just some impersonal force, like, you know, Star Wars, the force is with you. If, if it's that, then sure, it's just, we can just assume it comes with power. But it, it's not. The Holy Spirit is a person. And it's a person who, yes, maybe, maybe we have the Holy Spirit. Maybe we have the presence of God in our lives. But because he's a person, he's not just an impersonal force. He chooses when and how to distribute his powers. So even Jesus needed to be prepared. It's not a coincidence that he's filled with the power after being in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days. It's not a coincidence. Now, there's this common belief, I think, in our church that the Holy Spirit, um, besides just being an impersonal force, is... is Nothing more than our conscience, right? I think Christians tend to confuse our conscience with the Holy Spirit. And we say that voice inside our head telling us uh, what to do and what not to do and whatever, a uh, sense of morality is, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. And it's like, oh, not necessarily, okay? We need to think about this. Because didn't you have a conscience prior to being a Christian, prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit? Everybody's got a conscience. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we have a sense of morality. The Holy Spirit... The presence of God in your life is more than just a conscience. And he leads us to do more than just simply the bare minimum of what's right and what's moral. What he does in this story with Jesus, he leads him into the wilderness. Was it the law that, that, that prophets had to go into the wilderness? Was there, was there some obscure Old Testament law that says that, that Jesus or you know, prophets have to go into the wilderness and fast for 40 days before ministry? To, no! It wasn't by law that this happened, but it's for the sake of empowerment. It's, it's for the sake of preparation. The Holy Spirit leads us, too, into places like the wilderness so that our dependence on God might increase, just like Jesus, and that he might be able to endow us with his power, too. I think that consumer culture is perhaps the greatest cause for spiritual lethargy, laziness, as well as spiritual impotency, powerlessness in our culture. I really do. And I'm just going to call this out, and I'm a victim of this as well, or, or, or a, uh, what's the, a perpetrator of this as well, may, may even be the better term. The consumer culture gets the best of me. If you look at Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness with no food, resisting temptation or whatever, it is, the, it is the antithesis of consumer culture, is it not? 
is the exact opposite. It is, there is nothing here but God and me. (laughs) And we're doing some really dirty, heavy, but good and necessary work. And all of these distractions in our life. I think technology is probably the, the, the greatest offender. All of these distractions just do the exact opposite of what is needed in our souls for God to say, here is my power. Because we're not dependent on him. You, you guys have, a, you know what like a, a phantom vibration is? I'm, I'm, like where, I just made this up, but it's where like my phone's not in my pocket and I have like a phantom, you know, like phantom pain, but the phantom vibration. Like I feel it vibrate or I, I hear it off in the distance, but it didn't really happen. You, you talk about an addiction You talk about being dependent on something. It's like, I I think my phone is going off and I'm trying to check it when it's not even in my my pocket. Man, and what if that sort of readiness and and reliance and openness uh, to the Holy Spirit, to God speaking in our lives, what if that defined our, our state of mind? And the second that I'd like to throw out there is, is food in our culture. And I say this because too often when we talk about fasting, um, we say, well, sure, we can fast from food, but we could also fast from all these other things. And usually social media, TV, whatever. And we come up with all of these things we could fast from. But for thousands of years, what fasting meant was from food. And you can't get around that. And, and there are legitimate reasons to fast from technology. But absolutely. But there is Hardly anything, and I can say from personal experience, I can also say from the experience of others and from the testimony of Scripture, that there are few things more powerful than saying no to food for a number of days. There are few things that will make you remember and rely on your God like fasting from food. So I think these are things that we need to consider. I think these are things that we need to do because the Holy Spirit wants to give us his power. We need the Holy Spirit's power, just as Jesus did. And if we cannot deny ourselves the pleasures of this world, at least sometimes, then we will deny ourselves the powers of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that one more time. If we cannot deny ourselves the pleasures of this world, then we will deny ourselves the power of the Holy Spirit. This was true for Jesus, and it's true for us. Okay, let's read on. We're really getting into the story now. Verse 16. When they came, when he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. That'll be important. He went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So Jesus just preached a text from Isaiah 61. And essentially, it's the gospel in a nutshell, okay? It's the gospel. And it says this, that there will be a time where God transforms everything. 
Every aspect of life. There will be physical healing. There will be spiritual healing. There will be individual healing. There will be societal healing, all right? He will lift the yoke of oppression that's existed over humanity since the dawn of sin. He will put an end to evil and injustice. He will put an end to poverty and hunger. His people will eternally prosper. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dumb will speak, and the lame will leap. This is the gospel, physical, real healing. Sins will be forgiven. Relationships will be restored. There will be perfect harmony among God's people here on earth, his kingdom here on earth. That's the gospel. Every aspect of life transformed. And I don't know what your gospel is, but I'm here to confess that my gospel is often wrong. And I know that there's, there's, there are different sorts of gospels that get put out there. And one really common gospel that's been put out there um, is, is the individualistic gospel. And, and kind of mixed with this only spiritual gospel, it's about God forgiving my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. You get what I mean? And maybe even a little bit further, um, God transforming me from sin, but just me. You know, I mean, this idea that... that God can perfect me, that I can stop sinning, that I can be, and, and, and that's true, right? And it's all this matter of the heart. But could God really heal me? Could God really heal my blindness? Could God really heal my cancer? And then beyond myself, could he heal these ails of society? You know what I'm saying? Could he actually not just remove sin from an individual, but, but the effects of sin on society as a whole? And the gospel says, the gospel that Jesus preaches this day says, yes. That's the gospel. And then the other gospel that, that's often preached today is the social gospel. And it says that God can do all of these things, but it denies um, the, the spiritual nature of things. And it denies that Jesus Christ is the way through which this happens. And so we've got to have, as Jason would say, a fully orbed idea of what the gospel is. Not not a one-dimensional gospel, but every reality, every aspect of life being fully transformed. And Jesus said, the time of the Lord's favor has come. This scripture has been fulfilled This very day. So the last thing to say about this gospel, what Jesus is saying here that day is that it's happening now. This isn't just something way off in the distance. The kingdom of God, the reign of God here on earth is here, it is now. It is in real time, in real life. And how does this speak to you? I think there's a, in, in a, the living room, uh, which is a fun four-week uh, four small group experience on Wednesday nights at 6.30, um, in the living room this last Wednesday night, um, I was talking with a group of people, and we were talking about the gospel, right? What, what we would ask Jesus, and, and one thing we want to know is, Jesus, uh, are things ever going to get better? And there's this sort of narrative I think that it is very prevalent in our church and in our culture that the world is going to you know what and it's not going to get any better until Jesus returns, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? This is a very cynical, negative attitude that just things are going to crap and they're just getting worse and worse and worse. But that doesn't seem to me to be the gospel that Jesus 
is preaching about this day. The kingdom of God isn't just something way off in the distance. The kingdom of God is now, and through the presence of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in ordinary human beings like him, God will transform this earth right in front of our eyes. And you see this in Jesus' ministry, right? I mean, you see him. He's not just speaking metaphorically. There are healings of all kinds happening throughout the land through Jesus' ministry. And then not just him, through his apostles. And not just his apostles, but many of his other followers in the book of Acts and throughout the history of the church and elsewhere in the world right now. These things are happening. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit in ordinary people that God transforms this world. And that he establishes his kingdom, his reign here on earth. That's huge. There's an immediacy, an imminence to this gospel. And we do not need to despair. We can't despair. This is a message of hope. Not when we die, but every morning when we wake up. So let's move on. Let's read how they respond. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his Lips, right? How exciting it is to hear that the hope of Israel has come. But very quickly they say, How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, isn't this uh, the, the quiet kid in my math class growing up or my neighbor down the street? Isn't this just the ordinary Jesus of Nazareth that we've all known in our small town? What good comes out of Nazareth? Some people would say, You know, it's, what? Doubt creeps in. And then he said, You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles in your hometown just like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. We're going to look at that phrase again. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three months, for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but, only one, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. And so you can see what Jesus is doing here. He's telling these stories about prophets of old who were not sent to heal people of Israel, but sent to show signs and wonders and to heal foreigners of the land. And you can imagine that there were poor, maybe even blind, people who considered themselves captives or oppressed right there in Jesus' presence that day. Don't you imagine that there would be some people who figure, yeah, I fit these categories that the gospel of the good news has come for. I fit these categories as I'm listening to Jesus speak today, and yet here he is telling me or implying that for one reason or another, God has passed over us. And what he's implying is because they couldn't receive this gospel. Their hearts were closed off to Jesus when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. They're about to commit murder here. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So at first, they speak well of him like we saw. They're amazed at his gracious words. But they get so caught up in wondering, how can this be? That they lose their excitement, even their belief in the fact that it is. And those who, for a brief moment, rejoiced in the good news, just as soon rejected it because they couldn't accept who it was coming through. I'm going to call this the Nazareth complex just for the sake of this morning. The Nazareth complex. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he says, 
He, he drops this proverb that no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And as I'm studying this text, I'm just asking God, why is that true? And we know it's not a universal truth because even Jesus, members of Jesus' own family certainly accepted him as a savior of the world. Right? There, there were people in Nazareth, but it's a, it's a generality. There is something about a prophet in his hometown where they, people aren't inclined to accept prophets from their own hometown. What could that be? And here's what I came up with. I think it's a tendency to discount what God, via the Holy Spirit, could do in, in others who we've deemed as ordinary. Does that make sense? People who we just don't expect that God would use for one reason or another, um, and especially those people who we've known for a long time. I mean, just imagine if your like, brother or sister or best friend for a long time came to you and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I mean, you know what I mean? That's, that's a bold statement that the gospel, that the hope of the world is going to happen through me, that the Holy Spirit is in me, that God has anointed me. That's bold. How would you respond? to someone you knew who you deemed as an ordinary human being and who at the same time made that claim. I think that's what's happening here. That's what they mean when they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this that carpenter who built my table last year? So because of their inability or their unwillingness to recognize the Holy Spirit within Jesus, God takes his blessing elsewhere. That's what happened. In fact, they forced him elsewhere, did they not? They tried throwing him off a cliff. And this gospel that they think is theirs, this is key, the gospel that they think is theirs, that they feel that they're entitled to as God's chosen people, turns out to be news that they can't accept because they can't, because it came through someone they didn't expect. And what does all this mean for us today? I'm going to bring it all home right here. So we are praying for an awakening. Well, I'm praying for an awakening. Many of us here are praying for an awakening. I invite you to do the same. We want, we want the Holy Spirit to come because we, it, it just doesn't appear when we look around us in our own lives and in the world that, um, that God's power is quite as present as it should be. And we know that the ministry of Jesus continues through ordinary human beings, like you and me, who are anointed with the powers of the Spirit. So here it is. We need to be careful not to make presumptions about who God will anoint, about who God will use. Including you, including yourself. You know what I'm saying? I think our, our expectations are just, even as the church, are you open are you open to the idea that God would endow the person sitting next to you or you yourself with unimaginable, miraculous gifts of the Spirit that really transform the world around us in real time? Are you open to that reality? Or do we have a, a Nazareth complex? Is there something? I think this is a spirit check. Is this gospel that Jesus puts forth on this day, is this still a gospel for us now 2,000 years later? Or did it end when Jesus died? And lastly, are we willing ourselves to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness to do things that may not be necessary by law, but to fast and pray to resist temptation so that we might be filled 
quite possibly for the first time ever, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need you to show up in our lives, to fill us and to empower us be ministers of your gospel, to be soldiers for your kingdom, to be agents of change, bearers of the good news. I confess that too often my gospel has been empty of of real, real power. I confess that I all too often doubt what you can do in and through me as well as in and through others. I feel like we doubt it because we haven't seen it, so God, show it to us. (laughs) Open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your Holy Spirit. I pray that your kingdom gets established in the world around us right in front of our eyes in ways that we could never even imagine, we could never even believe. I pray that you um, begin healing the sick, lifting oppression in our homes, in our town, in our country. And help us, Lord, to resist temptations that await us so that we might be filled with your power. We thank you for this incredible good news. We long for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.